0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com.
1: Let's go now to God's Word.
0: The Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to me according to your word and the angel departed from her verse 46 and Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has strong, shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of God for his people. Praise be to God. Thank you, Donna. I think I
1: could just let her read to me for, just keep reading, reading. I'm good. Wow. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to your word. Your word is soothing. Your word is wonderful. Your word is convicting. Your word is powerful. It's anything but lifeless. So come, Holy Spirit, and apply it to our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you make somebody born anew this morning? Would you make many somebody's born anew? Would you bring the proud down? Would you raise up the humble? More than anything, would your goals and your agenda be fulfilled? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. And that means practically nothing to us. (laughs) But it meant a lot to the original readers. You see, Herod was not a very nice guy. But some liked him. Because he, by historians, is called Herod the Great. He was put there by Rome, and he was put there... Um, and given a lot of authority and he used that authority for uh, to build wealth for himself and therefore for the nation he did incredible building projects he um, added on uh, a very important part of the second temple in Jerusalem he made uh, just a, a massive port and 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 increased trade uh, by water um, in Caesarea he built many homes he um built theaters and so forth he he did a lot of construction work which put people to work which made his kingdom great and and therefore benefited a lot of people however he was a narcissist <laughs> uh he was very paranoid about a coup and being taken over Um, That is why he built so many houses that if a coup broke out, if somebody tried to take over the government, then he would have a place to go and, and no one would be able to predict which house he was going to. Um, we all know that when the Magi from the east came and, and declared that the one who has been born king of the Jews is in the region, in the area, that he sent them on a mission to find the baby, so that, according to him, he could go worship too, but we all know his agenda was to kill him. And when the Magi tricked him and didn't come back, that um, he uh, sent out an edict for all the two-year-old male you know boys in the region to be slaughtered and you could literally hear crying in that region mothers weeping over their babies being killed he gave in another edict that thankfully wasn't carried out and that was he wanted to make sure that people cried when he died and so he ordered a number of people killed upon his death but they didn't do that they saw through his narcissistic tendencies And so, let's go back and see how this story begins. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. You see, it would strike different people in different ways. But the reason that Dr. Luke gives us that information is so that people who saw him as an evil man and saw him for what he was could have hope. And to understand that everything that would come after that declaration, all of the good news of the birth of a king, all of this language of of a king who would come and bring down his enemy and and, and one who would reign on the throne of his father David and and, and, and upon whose kingdom there would be no end, all of these declarations would mean something. And what it would mean is that God was declaring, God was coming into the world, taking on flesh to bring real salvation and real hope. Ultimate hope. How so, we ask? Two things. The first that I want us to see, I just want to make this as simple as possible, is that when Jesus is coming, he came to comfort the afflicted. He came to give afflicted people hope. He came to give people hope that had no hope. And so, let's look at it. I don't know if you uh, have read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now we, there's actually a movie. There used to be a horrible you know, rendition of the movie. Now there's a pretty good rendition of the movie. But The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, many are familiar with that story. But for those that are not, it, it's a story written by C.S. Lewis. And um, there are four children who... Um, venture into this wardrobe, which is a closet, but, you know, it hit me in the first service. A lot of people still do have wardrobes, especially if you live in Midtown where there are not many closets. And so you buy a wardrobe and you can go to the backside, go in, and there's a back of the wardrobe. Well, these children were playing in the wardrobe and they came out the backside and they entered this magical land called Narnia. And the very first thing that is mentioned, the very first thing that they notice is that they are cold. And that is Lewis's depiction of a fallen world. And it's brilliant. Because we all want to escape the cold. (laughs) The cold is bitter. The cold is not something you want. I mean, you want it cooler when it's 105 degrees in, you know, Memphis, Tennessee and 98% humidity. I mean, yeah, we long for, but we all know that we can't live out in the cold. We can't survive the cold because it's brutal and cold kills. It doesn't breed life. Now, we can take refuge from the cold, and those who have uh, the, the most resources can take the most elaborate refuge from the cold. But ultimately, the cold is something all of us have to deal with when it's winter. And that's the picture of the fall. And in the days of Herod, king of Judah... Those words depict the winter of the fall for all time until Jesus returns. There will always be someone seeking our harm and not our good. There will always be forces, forces of darkness, forces of cold, that are there to harm us and not give us life. They want to quench life out and deter especially the worship of God. And yet we see in Zachariah and Elizabeth, that God comes to them in the midst of a specific kind of winter. It's called barrenness. We see it in verse seven. Elizabeth's womb was barren. Now you've got to get this picture. Barren doesn't mean that they were, you know she was having trouble getting pregnant. That's something totally different. When you're barren, you've stopped trying to get pregnant. You've given up hope of ever being pregnant. You have said, I am barren, I will never have a child. And that is where Elizabeth was. And that is where Zechariah was as her husband. And she was the reproach of all the women in the town because of it. Because everybody assumed back then that if you didn't have children, then God must be judging you. There must be something where you were kind of an outcast in the city. But notice, in the midst of the barrenness, we read in verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now get this picture. You have a woman whom hope and life has basically passed by who is walking righteously in Christ Jesus. Do you see the contradiction and the beauty? You have a woman who should be blaming God for the condition of her life, and yet she is worshiping God and obeying Him. Instead of saying, look at my life, I don't owe God anything, I'm just going to live the way I want to, she says, even though my womb is barren, I know that you are God and I praise you and I praise you alone. And that is beautiful. Because you see, it is hope in the Lord that is the essence of righteousness. Do you want to know what righteousness is? It is waiting for the Lord when it's hard to wait for the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 9. The evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Another translation says the righteous wait for the Lord. The wicked ...are cut off, but the righteous wait for the Lord. Righteousness is waiting for the Lord. It's not giving up on Him. It's waiting for the Lord when circumstances are bad and, and you can't change them. It's waiting for God to do something, but your faith is not conditioned upon Him doing something. It is different from the thief on the side of Jesus who said, Hey, I believe you're God, but I really believe if you get me down from this cross... That's not him. It's the one on the other side who says, hey, you're righteous, you're holy, we're worthless, we're guilty, And but you don't deserve what you're getting. We deserve what we're getting. And Jesus looks at him and says, you get it. You say, you get it. You're not blaming me for you being on the cross. and You know that you're guilty. You know your condition, but you're lifting me up. And that's faith. And so I ask you this morning, are you experiencing that reality? Or are you letting some circumstance in life dominate Your hope in the Lord. And then, when God in His kindness expresses His kindness to her by making her womb fertile, notice what she does. Verse 24-25. through For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, this is so bizarre, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So one of the specific and peculiar trials that she was having is that every time she went out in public, every time another woman in the village would look at her, she would feel the judgment of her barrenness. And God makes her pregnant, and what is the first thing you would do, women? You would just long for that little, that little baby bump, and you'd get the tightest sweater you could possibly find, and you'd be out in town kind of, oh yeah, kind of walking like this just in case, you know. But she hides for five months. Why? The text tells us to worship God. Is it not beautiful? Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You see, God is her prize. He was her prize before she got pregnant, and he is still her prize. The the child doesn't replace God, and so she hides for five months, and she worships the God who has shown her kindness. And then I'm sure she went outside and had a little fun with it too. But isn't that beautiful? We see the reality of Elizabeth's faith. We see the reality of Zechariah's faith in his prophecy they are going to be the parents of John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. And so Zechariah prophesies that the purpose of this child will be to, quote, give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, if you look at all these verses, we see the the hope of one who's going to come and reign on the throne of David forever and his kingdom will have no end and he's going to bring down the enemies and all this. And and so we can't miss the reality that there is a promise, a, a tangible promise, that Jesus will reign as king over this world and the new heaven and the new earth will be and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord in a material, real world called the new heaven and the new earth, okay? However, we know from this side of the story, looking back, that Jesus, in his first coming, comes to inaugurate this kingdom. But the the first administration of it in his coming is to conquer sin and death. And so hear me, the benefit of this coming kingdom will be fulfilled in his second coming. But in his first coming, he comes to conquer sin and death. And how does he do that? He comes to live under the law in our place. He fulfills righteousness for us. And so Christianity is different than religion. I've said it umpteen hundred times. Religion says, and this is how most of us live, including your pastor, on most days. Here it is. Now jump and and, and get up there. And the higher you jump, the closer you get. I mean, God kind of looks down at you and says, yeah. No. No. Here's the, here's the gospel. The gospel says the, the expectation of God, you can't even put your hand that high. The expectation of God is his holiness. And Jesus came down knowing that we could never jump that high, and he jumped perfectly high enough. And I guess to fulfill the illustration, dunked it. <laughs> That's a new one. I've never done that before. But uh basketball season. I mean, there you have it. That's good news, because all of us were created to be loved by God, but we're all separated by our sin. Why is the forgiveness of sin so important? Because we're all sinners. It's just different forms. It's just different kinds. If you're moral, if you're immoral, if it it doesn't matter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by His grace. And so we come as paupers, and we come as sinners, and we receive forgiveness. That's why God says, here, I want you to come to this table regularly, often, so that you can declare, I am a forgiven man and woman, boy or girl, because of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And so Zechariah is so excited because Jesus is coming to bring forgiveness And that he values more than even having the child. And then secondly and finally, Jesus doesn't just come to comfort the afflicted. He comes to afflict those who are living in comfort, but really basing their comfort on the wrong things. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin A virgin. He didn't say Mary. He says a virgin. Why? Because she's righteous. Because that is righteousness in terms of women and marriage and men and marriage. She's a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Then he names her. Do you see what's going on here? Whereas God came and gave a child to Zachariah and Elizabeth and took away their reproach in the city, God is going to come to a righteous couple that everybody respects, everybody admires, everybody knows that, you know, they're oh, they're not sleeping together. I mean, they're righteous, Joseph and Mary. Oh, no, no. I mean, and then all of a sudden she's pregnant. Really? Yeah. That's what God did. And he doesn't explain. He sends angel to Joseph to say, hey, dude, she really is. It really is my child. Uh, <laughs> you got to stay with her. And he's thinking, you know, nobody believes it. Maybe Elizabeth, but nobody else believes it. And so she now becomes the reproach. And do you see any self-pity? No. Jesus comes to Joseph and Mary and life gets messier. You need to hear that. If you're not a believer here this morning, don't hear this preacher saying, when you come to Jesus, life is all just going to be glorious. It's going to get messier. It's going to get harder. Because to come in relationship with Jesus means that you begin to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple at its purest form. I now follow you, Jesus. You now tell me where to go. You now tell me how to live. You now tell me what to do. That's the relationship that we have now. He's God, I'm man, I'm the creation, he's the creator, I'm the redeemed, he's the redeemer. I mean, this is the relationship we have. It's not a, a we're buddies. He's my friend, but oh, he's my friend, <laughs> because he's God. You see it? And and so Jesus comes to Mary and Joseph, and he makes their life really, really hard. And what? how do they respond? Mary starts to sing. It's so beautiful, too. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Oh that He would choose me to be with Him. You see, when you come to Jesus, you've got to expect that getting Jesus is worth being rejected by anybody and everybody coming to Jesus, having Jesus as your friend, having Jesus as your savior, being reconciled to him is worth all the reproach of the world. And the reproach will come. Matthew 10:22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake he tells his disciples. There's no prosperity gospel here. You come to me, you're going to get hated. Who's in? <laughs> I mean that was his that was his evangelistic message. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I tell you, we've been through some stuff, church, haven't we? We've been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. The last eight years have probably been the hardest years of my life, and I think it's your fault. <laughs> I was doing great in my other churches. The enemy hates... I had, a, had an older African-American man tell me, These words have come back to me over and over and over and over again. I told him what I felt called to do in Memphis to see a church that reconciles African American and white and, and, you know, and also poor with or under-resourced with resource. And he he said, oh brother, the devil's going to hate that. He was right. The devil hates it, hates it. And he's going to do anything he can to destroy it. But is Jesus why we're here? You hear me? If it's not, you're going to go somewhere else. I promise you. If Jesus is not why you're here, if He is not your love, if He is not your first love, I promise you this isn't going to be worth it. Because your life is going to get messier. It's going to get harder. And yet, this is the gospel. I look at Philippians chapter three, seven through eleven. Paul says, "But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." He's talking about all the his incredible reputation he used to have, but now coming to Jesus, he has no reputation. I mean, there are people trying to kill him. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know Jesus in that way? You can. This is not just some ancient text that, oh man, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Mm, I've never experienced that's kind of cool. No, that is the invitation to Jesus. You can be loved by God to the point that His love becomes your everything, and to be a friend with Him, you're willing to be an enemy of the world. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be a Christian. And he is begging. He says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, but I count that as rubbish. The Greek word there is crap. And it's, I could make it even worse. I count them as just... all right. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a reputation of my own, a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law. Nobody looks at me like I'm good. They think I've lost my mind. They judge me. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know Him, and listen to this, the power of His resurrection, and I may share in His sufferings. Jesus means so much to Paul. Jesus means so much to Mary. Mary that she begins to worship, even though she knows her reputation is out the back door. She is a harlot in the eyes of everybody. (laughs) And she starts singing. Why? Because Jesus has come to her. And I ask you simply this morning, has Jesus come to you? Is He bigger than everything else? Is He your love? Do you know His love? Have you stopped playing the game trying to get God's favor by being good or giving up on His favor by being bad and just saying, I'm going to live how I want to? Do you understand that love is attainable through the finished work of Christ? And love is attainable through the finished work of Christ. Do you hear me? You can live life knowing that He predestined me before time in love. He chose me to be adopted as his son through the sacrifice of his son. That he loves me so much, he sees me when nobody else does. He loves me like nobody else can. He forgives me. He lavishes His mercy on me. He chooses me and He's walking with me. And I know that no matter what I face in this life, take everything, but I still have Jesus and I know He's good. And His plan is good. It may feel cruel, but He's working through it. Maybe he's showing the world what it's like for one of his children to have everything taken from them and to see that that a child of mine's joy is not dependent on the stuff of the world. I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing it. And you can't doubt it. Dear friend, do you know Jesus in that way? Is he what you long for more than a new car? More than a bigger house. More than a spouse or a different spouse or children or different children. (laughs) Is He what you are hungry for? Well, let me just tell you, He is what you're hungry for. So stop trying to feed your soul with the stuff of the world. And come to Jesus because that's why He came. Well Jesus, thank you that this is our hope. Would you come and do your work in us? Would you convince many in this place maybe for the first time? And would you allow all of us to recommit our hearts to you, our first love, as our first love? Jesus, only you can do that, so do it. Receive now these gifts. We're just giving back what you gave to us. May we take no pride in it. May we know that we could give 100% and it doesn't add to what Jesus has already done and it doesn't change your view of us as your children. But God help us to give with glad and sincere hearts. We pray in Jesus' name.